You look at how our dinner time conversation happened, right? I was raised as a core Gen Xer, right? And it was, how are your grades? If I was slouching, my dad would like pull my hair up, like to sit up. You juxtapose that to really anyone 36 and younger, they're not eating dinner at the dinner table. They're playing beer pong out back and ripping on a jewel together, right? And so what happens is these young people come in expecting that same authentic connection to you. Every relationship requires the effort of both parties to work together effectively. While I'm not a big fan of customizing approaches to a particular generation, the reality is that each generation's set of values in business and personal life require professionals of all ages to understand one another and navigate differences. Enter Chris Tuff, author of Save Your Ask and The Millennial Whisperer. Chris and I don't always agree on the same philosophies and we have diverging opinions on numerous topics. However, by engaging in this debate, we explore new avenues of thinking that open us up to disagreement, but also allow us to learn from one another. Listen in as Chris and I discuss millennial and Gen Z perspectives on technology, family, and interpersonal relationships, and share why you need to understand these to be effective in your business. Chris also shares why saving your ask is essential to building your network and activating it effectively. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Dan. Good to be here. Yeah, nice to have you. I'm kind of excited here. I mean, you've done something I haven't done. You've written two books already, Millennial Whisperer and um, Save Your Ask. Yeah, well, I mean, it's important to note, Dan, I had no intention of ever writing a book. And, you know, it kind of takes me to... I hit rock bottom in 2016 and that rock bottom, like on the outside, I was crushing it, right? Like I built my career on social media, right? I mean, I was one of the first people to work with Zuckerberg and Facebook and what really attracted me to it in the first place was this intention of making the world a more connected place, which was Zuckerberg's first real purpose for why he built Facebook and things barreled out of control, right? As that whole thing took off and, you know, I, I had, I was living a largely disconnected life. I mean, uh, I was disconnected with my wife and my two children as I hobnobbed and played the status game going all around the world, taking pictures with the who's who, right? I, I had lost connection with myself and my purpose and my metric of success up until that date was beating my brothers at the game of life, which is the worst metric of success ever. And then I had 400 employees at my marketing firm. And I was just the rainmaker going out and trying to win business. And I, I was doing a great job, but I'd lost connection with them. And so all of this manifested itself as a massive rock bottom. I was having panic attacks. And I took a month off and turned to my wife and I said, I've got to change everything. And it wasn't easy, right? Like a lot of people's rock bottom. I took my house down to the stilts. I changed my metric of success from beating my brothers at the game of life to metric of success being really judged when my head hits the pillow. Did I have the impact that I intended? Um, as well as committing to my wife and my two children that I would be there for the practices, that I would be there for the different, um, you know, taking them to school. And the last one being, I decided to really put all of my effort into my 400 employees, largely millennials and Gen Zers. And it was seven months as I was slowly rebuilding out of that rock bottom that I introduced myself around the fire on an executive retreat, 14 entrepreneurs, average age, really like 55. 
And I was like, I don't really know how to introduce myself to you gentlemen, but um, I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And then I went and shared my story and these guys sitting around the table were like, man, these millennials suck. And another guy's like, whoa, you think millennials suck? What about the next ones, the Gen Zers? Another guy goes, yeah, half my employees are VP or above because it's the only way I can keep them. And it was just this barrage of negativity towards the next generation. And I say, guys, there, 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 there's a couple things that you need to understand, right? And, and that's where really my first book was born around that fire as I talked about the impact of social media and how the next generations were parented, right? The impact of social media is this, that it's up to us as leaders to teach our employees that the grass is not greener on the other side, right? It's retrained not only them, but a lot of generations that this idea that the perfect job exists, right? And so I tell my employees, you got to stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides. And so you got that big one. And then the other one was that what your younger employees are looking for out of you isn't unlike what's happening around this fire and it's authentic connection, right? And you got to look at how they were parented. And by the way, we are the parents of that, largely Xers, right? Where you look at how our dinnertime conversation happened, right? I mean, I had a British father. I was raised as a core Gen Xer, right? And it was, Christopher, how are your grades? Are they good enough to go to Vanderbilt, right? Like, it was very authoritarian. If I was slouching, my dad would, like, pull my hair up, like, to sit up. You juxtapose that to really anyone 36 and younger, they're not eating dinner at the dinner table. They're playing beer pong out back, talking about who they just hooked up with and ripping on a jewel together, right? And so what happens is these young people come in expecting that same authentic connection to you. And these guys are dumbfounded as I'm explaining this stuff. And it was about three weeks later, I talked about a few of the tactics I used. And they said, yeah, man, um, you got to write this book, The Millennial Whisper. It's too good. And so I wrote it in four and a half months. And I, I'd like to say that, was, that you know, it, it, it did really take off. Um, I hit, I think, the market at a good time. And uh, yeah, that, and so and then I became a writer. And um, I didn't do it on my own. My, my sister is a professional journalist. And so I would write down all my things. And then she would come in behind me and make it sound good. So, but yeah. And um, I've really just been doubling down on, once again, that purpose of authentic connection with everything that I do. And right. so, so one, one of the things I'll, I'll share this, I'd love to get your take on this, Chris, is I see and hear this a lot. And I've had experience with this. And this is more of the millennials and the Gen Zers, right? And I see it even on social media a lot. It's about finding your passion, which I agree with finding a job or a career that matches your passion, which I 100% agree with. But then there's the other part of side gigs. Hmm. And I read about these, these influencers who talk about how to get a job and maintain your side gigs, right? And I think to myself, all right, I like the entrepreneurial spirit of a side gig. But then I also think to myself on the other side, which is, wait a minute, you're working for someone and they're paying you. And if it's an entrepreneur, that's that entrepreneur's money. And they're counting on you to be very committed to what they're asking you to do. And you got side gigs. 
Sure. So it's like when I grew up, there were no side gigs. And I'm not saying the way I grew up was right, which is you gave 110% and you were thankful and grateful for the job, no matter what the job was. But that's how I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. Sure. And I get, and I get how things change. But right now it's like side gigs. Well, right. You can't be half pregnant. And so I, I scratch my head sometimes going. I take it all the way back. Right. And so first leading into anyone's first week, I talk about my 70-30 rule and my 70-30 rule segues into, I segue into that with my most embarrassing story ever, which is my River Run Stewart story. And it goes like this. I, I was out in Sun Valley, Idaho, you know, September, beautiful time. I was out there for a wedding with my whole family. And this was about seven years ago. I, I, I hired a fishing guy. And I turned to the fishing guide. We're in our galoshes. We're ready to go. And I said to him, listen, I, I don't even like fishing. You can catch the fish. I'll catch the fish. But I want two Instagram shots. I want one of the trout like in the net. And then I want a video of me. I go, have you ever seen a river runs through it with Brad Pitt? And he's just disgusted looking at me. And he's like, yeah. I go, okay, I want a 15 second video of me, Brad pitting it in the water with the <laughs> mountains in the background, the river going by. And uh, he goes, seriously, you're going to pay $600 for an Instagram post. I said, no, that's two, that's two Instagram posts, 300 each. Let's go. Right. And I lead into that with a lot of the stuff that we are all doing and posting is we're full of crap. Right. A lot of your friends, when you're sitting around drinking together on the weekends, they're they're burgeoning side hustle, most likely they're full of crap. And so as you look at your job here in this place, what I want you to do is take your job description and understand that 30 percent of your job is just going to suck. 30% of my job sucks. I'm going to tell you right now, anything in Excel budgeting like that sucks. I hate it, but I have to do it right. And so. It is my job as your leader to make sure that that 70-30 is somewhere over a three-month period in, in place. And so take your job description and, and let's tell me what's in your 30% zone of suck and what's in your 70% zone of awesomeness, right? When they do that, two things happen. One, you both understand what they hate, right? But two, when they go through three days of that suck, they don't up and quit on you. If you look at the statistics... Of then this was as of two weeks ago, 86% of Gen Zers that have quit in the last two years regret that decision. And that is solely a product of this, right? I then segue into more of why they're here, right? It's my hopes that when they're at this organization, that they're always scratching that purpose and passion. And I'll actually work with them on their individual purpose statements. Over a six-week period, I do this big purpose dinner with the team, and now I'm working with organizations on this, and we do this purpose exercise where everyone announces their purpose around that dinner table. And Dan, you know, for a young woman working on the Home Depot account, her purpose was to allow women to feel more confident in their own skin, and she worked on the Home Depot Pro account. Right. So she's like, what am I that that has nothing to do with my purpose? I said, all right, now this is where side hustles come in. Now, you got to understand, I'm going to give you every Friday afternoon between X amount of hours and I will be a resource 
for you on that. And as this, and so I'll do that for all of my people so that they can at least feel like they're starting to pursue that because for the first time ever, we have two generations will, that will up and quit unless they feel like some of that purpose and that passion is being itched, right? So it's my job to at least alleviate some of that. And the reality is, and Dana, you and I know this, is that tenacity and resilience are in short supply, especially with younger people. And so what I'm trying to teach them, as well as my two daughters who are 13 and 11, is the power of that. And what happens is even in this case, right, this young woman, it was six months into it, I hooked her up with a friend of mine that was building a clothing uh, brand on Instagram. And she turned to me and she was like, Chris, I got to tell you, this is really exhausting. And I don't know if I really got the heart for it, right? Like this side hustle thing, building a company, like raising money, like it's, I, I don't think it's for me. I'm like, great, that's, that's fine, right? And so for me, side hustles are a way of the future, right? And, and I mean, you look at the statistics, especially with the Gen Zers, they're going to have more than one job. And, the, you know, their jobs are, I look at it as, like everyone's got that backbone or a jet stream, and then off of it are these eddies. I mean, and even if with my own story, right? Like, I mean, I wrote a book while I was full-time employed at an agency that then actually carried enough power to then become now my backbone. But a lot of people that it, it's just more of scratching that itch. And so I encourage everyone, once you understand what that purpose is, that we help them pursue that in some form or fashion. And, you know, statistically, continuous learning, that's one of the greatest needs of young people today. I scratch that itch, not by sending them to some booze fest at South by Southwest or allowing them to go to some dumb conference that is usually a waste of time and money for us. And instead, I bring in this continuous learning to their head and heart that they're like, man, I can never leave this place. They're like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm developing. I'm learning all these new skills. So that's my philosophy on side hustles, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I love your passion around it. This is one of those ones, though. I still, I'll have a tough time getting my head around it. I don't think I'm a big advocate of side hustles. I mean, you know what it's like to have to build something. I know what it's like to have to build something. There's a lot of risk. You have to go through a lot of suck, right? Sometimes it's more than 30% as you're building. And I just find it hard that you could have side hustles that allow you to channel your energy to the best of your ability. And like, it's hard to do that in too many directions. I love the continuous learning. Absolutely, 100%. Um, but that might be one that's going to take me a while to get my head wrapped around. Well, like, so I put it in a context of sales, right? Like, so, yeah. I mean, even... So I've always had side hustles myself. I've always had things that I've been building alongside uh, my agency, right? And and once again, I mean, I, I, I practice what I preach. When you're at work, you work, right? It's at nighttime or on Sundays or whatever that you pursue some of those things. But from a from a sales side, what it does, and listen, like side hustles are also hobbies, right? Like, I mean, it, it can be a nonprofit. It can be a sport that you're like, you're trying to become a scratch golfer. But when you bring that also into the context of our ability to connect on a sales side, I mean, even you look at the Home Depot, that was the largest client that I single-handedly really brought in. 
it was actually through a connection on the side hustle side that I was able to really create that connection with the executive at the Home Depot. It wasn't necessarily talking about how we can fulfill their needs as an advertising marketing agency. It was some of the things that I was doing on the side in the nonprofit world that really created that connection. And and that's the other thing about side hustles. They can also be hobbies and nonprofits too, right? It's just something that can, once again, help us take steps in that direction of that purpose or stake in the ground. Yeah, we probably should have defined side hustle a little bit because, yeah, if you have a hobby, I agree. And if it's a passion and it, it gives you fulfillment in your life and energy, absolutely, 100%. Yep. My head was more toward like side businesses that would compete. No, you can't. You got to say out of the gates. If you're trying to compete with this place, it's a no-go. Absolutely not. But just even compete with passion and energy too, where it's about, am I going to make more money here or more money there? Then I think you get into issues, right? Because if you have a side hustle and you start making great money, good for you. But then you're also trying to maintain the other job that someone's paying you to do as your safety net, that's where I start to have a little challenge with it. But as far as hobbies, sports, passions, things that really intensify and give gratification in life, I absolutely agree with you on that. And I do like the idea of supporting that. Yep. You know? So tell me about feedback. What have you found to be effective ways to give feedback to Gen Zs and millennials? So- there's a reality to the fact that these generations are more sensitive. And that is mostly a product of the helicopter and snowplow parenting. I mean, I, t- I talk about in the millennial whisperer how I've had parents come in and negotiate salaries on their kids' behalf, right? Like, I mean, it's it's totally out of control. And, you know, the other side of it is that they have been recipients of participation trophies at every single term. And so when... I had a friend of mine who's a really well-known CEO in Atlanta, and he was like, Chris, anytime I bring one of my young employees into my office, without me even opening my mouth, they start crying. What do I do? Right? I was like, all right. And I turned to him. I said, listen, um, here's the thing. When are you bringing them into your office? And he goes, for their annual reviews or when they do something wrong. I was like, okay, well, one of the big things is that, and this is a fallacy, right? If you look at the statistics, it's like there's this idea, especially with with Xers and boomers that millennials and Gen Zers can't get feedback. They actually crave feedback, but it's gotta be more in real time. And what happens in a lot of organizations is they wait for the annual review or when they do something wrong to give that. And they're like, okay, well, they cry every time, right? And so what I suggest is that if you ground your feedback in real data and you also do approach it with a little bit more velvet around the hammer, right, which I say you got to build a better sandwich, which is let's just say, for example, Meg on your team uh, is begging to pitch a new piece of business, right, and, and go in for the sales pitch in front of a group. And you're like, all right, Meg, let's do that. And she totally botches this sales pitch. But you're sitting there and you're taking down the data. She has, she says like 32 times. She uses um 14 times, right? And you got to give her that feedback within 24 hours. And you go in, starting with a compliment, the top half of the sandwich, right? The bread. And you say, Meg, I'm so proud of you for pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I know that wasn't easy. Use and, and 
I took some notes as to how we can improve. You're using a lot of filler words. You said like 32 times and um 14 times. I too used to do that, but it's something you definitely need to watch out for. And then you end it with, and keep pushing yourself. Next time you do, you practice this sales pitch. Why don't you do it in front of our team? And what's funny, what's what's funny about your story, and that's why I smiled. So this was the story about your CEO friend, right? He brings the individual into his office and they start crying. So whenever I have to have a chat with, I have four kids. Whenever I have to have a chat with them, I bring him into this office here yes. in the background and they sit in a leather chair over <laughs> there and I don't mean to do it, but it's a private place. And now that, now that you're saying that I'm like, and there's a joke now in, in, in our family, which is, Hey, if you had to go to Dan's office lately or dad's office lately. Yeah. <laughs> My dad, whenever I was getting really tough feedback, he knew he needed to incentivize it with like a nice steak dinner. And I knew that if I was going to steak dinner with my dad, I was about to get it handed to me, essentially, right, or like a redirection. Um, But you know, once again, feedback can come in also attaboys, right, and, and high fives. And, you know, these brains have been rewired from that, both the parenting side, as well as what social media has done, right? Anytime someone wants that instant gratification, they post something and they get it. And so we've got to meet in the middle on some of these pieces. And, you know, that's why, you know, I call it like 24 hour rule where within 24 hours of that redirection or that props, you got to send it out. And, you know, you look at character traits that millennials and Gen Zers or leadership traits that they're looking for. Number one is inspirational leadership. And the truth is also, Dan, that most leaders aren't inspirational and we're not looking, we don't structure our teams accordingly to have them paired up, right? Where you have someone that is inspirational like me with someone that's also operationally driven, that's not like me, right? And uh, as you talk about inspirational leadership, one of the easiest tactics to bring culture to life is with rewards and recognition uh, along with the biggest issue is LAE, which is low ass energy. And it was actually working with Tony Robbins, team on some dental stuff that he was like, Chris, you know, what the biggest issue is with inspirational leadership, LAE. I was like, what's LAE? He goes, low ass energy. These, these leaders come in and they're just lame and they're droll, right? Like how do you actually bring that HAE and rewards and recognition? Once again, like we've got to, create a little bit more of this you and i'm not saying go overboard there's some companies that do too much of it right you hear stories of when you you give free lunch on a friday it's on the third lunch that people are complaining pizza again right like we've got to find that line and so we need a top-down rewards and recognition on at least a quarterly basis as well as a peer-to-peer recognition that pushes down the rewarding and the recognition on your employees. And my favorite story around the top down is what I call my big blue rooster story. And there there was a, there's actually a really well-known now publicly traded software company that was renowned in Silicon Valley as things were really starting to take off as having the best work culture. And even like Facebook would reach out to these guys, be like, what are you guys doing differently? And it was so interesting because what they would do, very sales-driven producer-led organization. And on your first day as a salesperson, you would go through all your HR paperwork. And then the last question the HR leader would ask you is, so what do you want your at-bat song to be? And you're like, what? 
Like, what do you want to play over the loudspeaker if, if you're going up for the speech or the at-bat? And it's like, I don't know, All I Do Is Win by Khalid. Like, I don't know. And then you kind of forget about it. And then it's on the first day of every month that as everyone enters this kind of converted warehouse, blue sirens go off on the top of the rafters and they blast the number one salesperson's at-bat song over the loudspeaker and they take a 10-foot big blue rooster on wheels and they wheel it to sit next to that person's cubicle for the month. You know how many cash rewards they give away? Zero. They give away a big blue rooster. And so I ask organizations, what's your big blue rooster, right? What's that one thing? I mean, working with Nike, they didn't have one. So we took a bunch of Jordan one with a, a pair of Jordan ones and we just spray painted it gold. I, I had a company I was um, uh, helping out and they're a rigging company, the crane operators, right? And uh, he gives his rocks, he, he got this, uh, this, trophy made and it's rock star of the month and it's just it's a 30 dollar trophy that he gives out every single month to their number one field team and so what's your big blue rooster that you're doing to recognize those employees and in a sales driven culture no one can argue with who's number one right so try harder be number one if it's if it's david three three months in a row david's crushing it right so, and then the peer-to-peer -peer recognition is where creating an environment where, I mean, I do it simply in my all hands meetings where I say, Hey, all right, I'm going to open it up with snaps. And I just want to give Dan snaps for going above and beyond on that pitch. He crushed it and I give snaps and then they give snaps to one another. It's as simple as that. There's lots of other tactics that you can use, but that, that, that to me is one of the easiest things to actually bring back this driven culture piece that we hear so much about. That was Chris Tuff, author of Millennial Whisperer and Save Your Asks, sharing his expertise on working with today's young professionals. Chris's insight will help you take into account what's important to millennials and Gen Zers so you can engage them with more thoughtfulness and in an impactful way. If you enjoyed this conversation, follow Breaking Sales on your preferred streaming platform to hear this episode and other explorations into sales tactics and most importantly, mindset.